So I know you guys are all like so curious about what life looks like raising a four-year-old boy. So I'm just going to give you a quick little example here. Um, okay, here it is. Hey, Jax, come here. Jax, come here. Hey, buddy. Hey, Jax, can you come to the kitchen? Jax? Whoa, Jax, there's this huge dinosaur in the kitchen. This is awesome. Run, run, run. Mom, what? Dinosaur? This is like literally a regular occurrence in my like everyday life. Like you'd think I had a zoo in my kitchen by the number of wild animals there literally are in my kitchen. Um, if you ever decide to use this technique, it also works to say that there's a donut man in your kitchen, ice cream, all of that. So feel free to steal that. But I'm trying to convince a four-year-old to like not just like let your words kind of like fly over your head or his head, but to like actually hear and like listen with attention sometimes feels like a task that I will never be able <laughs> to move through. Um, so today's passage has a whole lot to say about how Jax reacts. Our passage is talking about what God has to say about our dynamics in a family relationship, um, and specifically, he instructs us in a family to obey. Um, and the word for obedience in this passage is this word that is not just listening, it's a word about hearing with this posture of responding. Um, so totally the opposite of what Jax does. Um, and oftentimes when we, like, when I'm like, okay, we're talking about obedience, all of our minds go to like the hardest time that we ever had trying to obey, being like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. But what we have to remember as we're learning about obedience is that we learned obedience like through the little things. So we learned obedience to our parents by responding when they ask us to come into the kitchen. We learned obedience by buckling our seatbelt, by like looking both ways before we cross the street. And as we learn these small ways of obedience, we then begin to learn how to obey in the really big things. So as we learn to obey in our family units, we're also learning how to obey God. We're learning in these little ways so that we may someday be able to obey the really big calls that he has for us. So my hope tonight is that you guys would discover that in obedience, God shows up and shows off his intimacy with you. And then as you practice obedience, you are able to share God's goodness within your family and within the world. So let's read out of Colossians our passage tonight um, to hear what God has to say. So Colossians 3, 17 through 4, 1. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. <clears throat> Servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as if for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the, your inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. 
For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong they have done, and there's no partiality. Masters, treat your servants justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So tonight, children obey your parents in everything, for it pleases the Lord. Fathers, which for our culture is also mothers and fathers' parents, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. For me, this passage acts both as a comfort and a conviction. It calls me to be more than I am, and in many parts of it, it calls me to be more than I want to be. So let's pray. Um, Father God, would you show us where we can um, be part of watching your kingdom come in our families as it is in heaven. Um, teach us tonight, convict us, comfort us, move us. Praise in your name, amen. So God uses two big main metaphors to identify himself and his relationship to us. One is the marriage relationship, him as the groom, the church as the bride. And Jason talked about that a bit last week. I mean, the other big metaphor he uses is family. So all throughout scripture, like Old Testament to New Testament, there's so many references to family. God as father. What we sang about the triune God, that even just like the Holy Spirit, father and son, their relationship together is family. We prayed tonight a prayer we've been taught where we are to call God our father. We're told that we are children, that we are adopted into his family story after story of parables that Jesus tells, giving examples of fathers and children that he is wanting to communicate to us about his relationship to us as family. He's wanting us to know this like deep relationship he desires with us through a family. So it's this big, big metaphor. And knowing that God uses an example of of family to like represent himself makes this passage or the idea of family feel like extra weighty for me. To be like this is one of the places that God wants to show himself off in very specific ways. Feels like this big invitation for me to step into family to show God in ways that he can only show off in this picture of a family. And while it feels like this big, heavy responsibility, it also is this like really great comfort. Because as we learn about God in relationship to us as a father, and as we learn about what his ideal for family is, we're learning about who he is. So when he gives this instruction to parents to not provoke their children to bitterness, to anger, to not discourage them, He's not just talking about what he would have for our parents to do to us. He's talking about how he is. He's giving us a picture of what it really looks like to be a father. So for me to know that God does not want to provoke me to anger, that he wants to build me up and encourage me, is a whole nother story. My my dad and I had a lot of seasons of hardship. Um, We would go through seasons of not speaking for years. We would go through seasons of him and me telling each other we didn't love each other. 
And it was really hard. And so I feel like so lucky to actually believe that it is true that my heavenly father actually really loves me and that he actually is really for me um, and encourages me. And to know that that is this ideal of father and that that knowledge has changed me in more ways than I can probably even, that I even know that it now has come out on other people. But I know, I feel really lucky that I've been able to like hold on to that image of God, but I know that's hard to do when you have parent situations that, that aren't great. That it's so much easier to put the image that we have of our family, of our parents onto God and say, well, this is what he's like. Because our families, as it says in the scripture, like they're to be an example of what God is like. So when we're giving these concrete examples of what a father or what a parent is, and it's not this image that God has for us, it feels hard to take that off of God. But what this passage is doing is flipping that. It's saying, no, 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 I am this image of father, and here's what I would have for your earthly fathers. Here's what I'd have for your earthly parents for you guys. That those of you who grew up in homes where their, your parents were following Jesus and disciplining you in love and encouraging you and wanting to know you, probably for you it actually feels like a lot easier to put that goodness onto God. To, to be aware that God is for you and values you. And it's probably harder when you don't have that to then transfer that onto the Lord. But in this ideal picture your parents are giving you this value and this worth and raising you up and building you up so that one day they can kind of pass the baton over and say, hey, children, like I'm telling you you're worth it. I'm showing you these things, but really that's coming from the Lord and you're gonna have to receive it in him. So the good news for you guys, if you have not had that in your immediate family, is that like it doesn't end there. Your worth and your value still comes from God ultimately anyways. But the parent's job in this passage is to be able to create a picture where when you meet God, you're like, oh my gosh, I know you more. It's easier for me to believe and have faith in you because of what I experienced from the way my parents loved me. And there's this author named C.S. Lewis, and he wrote a lot of, like, I don't want to say smart books. Um... But <laughs> um, he wrote a lot of really great books. But he, for a season, wrote some children's books. And he made one of the characters in these children's books, this lion named Aslan. And the lion was to represent Jesus. And he said he wanted to write these books so that kids would learn about Aslan and would fall in love with him. And so then when they met Jesus, it would be easier for them to know him and fall in love with him because of the way they loved Aslan. Even in one of the books, Aslan himself talks about this. He says, Aslan says, I am there too, but I have another name. You must learn to know me by that name. This was the very reason I brought you to Narnia, that by knowing me here for a little, you may know me there better. Our parents are to give us these beautiful introductions so that we may also know God better. 
in the kingdom of God that he has for us, the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven, would be that our parents would allow us to know God even more and recognize him when we meet him. This passage paints a beautiful picture of what God looks like as mother and as father and what his ideal in the kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. That our immediate family family would know Jesus more by the way that they treat us. And so that is our parents. That is when you are parents. That is you responding out of obedience to this command then there also is this call for children to respond out of obedience. And it's not a response to your parents because they were good parents, because they didn't provoke you. No, it's a response of obedience because it pleases the Lord. It's a response in obedience because that is what it looks like for his kingdom to come in our families as it is in heaven. And then as we respond, as we are obedient to our parents, what we begin to see is this intimacy in Christ grow. So not only are we learning more about him and his goodness, but we become closer to him. The, with the definition of obedience being like to hear and to respond to, if we are being obedient, what we're doing is we're listening and we're hearing and we're responding to God. As I'm trying to teach my two-year-old new words, it feels like very similar where I'm like, okay, London, say pup pup. She hears my voice and she's like, pup pup. And what she's doing is she's listening to my voice and she's putting it into her own words. And so as we obey, what we're doing is we're hearing God and putting it into our own life. So if you've ever been like, I just want to hear God, I want to do his will, you know what? You can start with obedience by hearing him and living it out. And as you do that, that builds intimacy with him. And that trust is built. Because the more you obey God, the more you begin to trust that his intentions for you are good. So I'm, just, I'm telling you a lot about my kids because, you know, like family time or whatever. But... Um, We've been trying to convince Jax to eat grilled cheese for like a long time because like literally what kid doesn't like grilled cheese? Like every kid does. And he likes cheeseburgers, he likes toast. I'm like, come on buddy, you're gonna like grilled cheese. But he refuses. He told me that when he was zero he tried and he didn't like it. Um, (laughs) But the other day we were like, a couple weeks ago we were watching a movie and he was like so zoned into the movie that he like reached down with what he thought was his plate to grab his burger or something put in his mouth, and it ended up being London's grilled cheese sandwich. And he devoured that thing, like, as fast as he could. And since then, like, past two weeks, he just asks for grilled cheese because he loved it. But the more he obeys us, the more he recognizes, oh, what they're asking me is good. Their intentions are good, and the same with us and the Lord. As we obey him, we begin to see and trust that his intentions for us are good and that intimacy grows. As we do that, we will want to keep following him attentively. Obedience helps us share God's goodness within our family unit. 
So not only are your parents the ones that are obeying the commands, but in showing off God to you and to us in our families when they do, but we in our obedience show off God in very big specific ways to our parents. Because if the image of God is this image of family, then this is an invitation, once again, like I said, for us to bring the kingdom come in our family as it is in heaven. To show off God in a unique way that we can't in any other setting. It's a call for us to be the best sons and the best daughters that we possibly can be and to reflect the power of Christ in that place. And it's not easy, like I know it. Like, I'm in my 30s and I struggle to obey my parents. So I'm not up here being like, just do it. It's really hard. Um, But when I think about it, I'm like, wouldn't it be strange though if God, because it's hard, called us and was like, okay, just figure out your life outside of your family because it's hard. Like, wouldn't it be strange that he'd be like, you know what, just let somebody else come into that family and like show off this picture of this image of me. Let somebody else be part of the restoration process. Well, it sounds very much like Jesus that he would have us be part of communicating himself even in places that were difficult. And you guys are in strange times right now. Like you're in this in-between phase of like, am I a child? Am I an adult? Where am I? How do I, how do I respond in this? How do I just be obedient and do I? Um, you're asking probably a lot of those questions and um, I want to tell you that, that God here is not just saying like, hey, just do it. He's telling us all of these instructions of these places to live out life like in the context of a whole letter. Because earlier on the letter, like minutes before, he's telling the people that are listening to be putting off and putting on these new lives. So he's not saying, hey, you living in the world, like go figure out how to be obedient because the world doesn't tell us to just be obedient to our families. But instead he's saying, remember, I've told you to put off malice and wrath and anger and you have this new life you're living and it's a new life that is filled with forgiveness and patience and kindness. Because I'm telling you guys, there's no way to go into your family and be obedient without having forgiveness and without being filled with patience. And I think also the other way it's possible is that we have to do it in the Lord. There's a like parallel passage to this passage in Colossians in Ephesians. So the guy that wrote both of them, his name's Paul, he just words it differently. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord that it is through the power of Christ that we can actually obey them, that we can actually put on this new life and live out these new people in obedience to God. And the other thing is, not only are we like experiencing the Holy Spirit helping us do it, but Jesus did it as well. Like, we have story after story about Jesus' own family dynamic where his mothers and brothers didn't understand him, where he was doing a job that wasn't expected of him because it wasn't part of the family plan. 
So he's in it with you. He has compassion and actually understands. And so as we put on these new selves, put off these old selves, and we begin to be obedient, what you begin to see happening in you is this attitude, this posture of a servant. That you begin to become people who are submitting, who are taking off your ego to then honor and uplift somebody else. Not because of what they've done or what they've earned, but because that is a posture that you are embodying. And I don't think I'm alone, but it is very hard to put off the ego when it comes to family. Um, I want to so badly be like, look what I can do. I can do it. I can handle it myself. I'm a grown-up. But to be able to put that down and choose to uplift somebody else is super, super hard. But when I do that, what I know is happening is I'm practicing the posture of Jesus. That he had humbled himself. He was the highest position of everything and he became a human he humbled himself in the form of a servant to then serve us and then he laid down his life for us so as we are obeying our parents what we're doing is our laying our lives down for them and we're in very practical ways figuring out what it looks like to be like Jesus not just to the stranger but to the people that are right next to us. And to lay down your life for your family takes a lot of putting off, for sure. Um, Putting off anger, putting on forgiveness, saying like, even though you didn't do this thing for me, I'm still going to choose to serve you. And there's just like so many layers to all of this. I would say the other, like, not the other, one of the other tricky things with all of this is that As we're obeying our parents, we also recognize, even in this passage, that they're not the ultimate father. And they're not the ultimate Lord of our life or master. This whole passage is pointing us to God being that Lord. And that in everything we do, we're doing it for him. And so how do we serve our parents, but ultimately serve God? How do we live out of this ideal kingdom come that he has for us, but live that with people that aren't perfect? Because I'll tell you, even your parents who are striving after Jesus aren't perfect. They're going to have insecurities. They're going to have sin patterns. So how do you obey them when you maybe know that that things may cross from what God may have for you and from what they're asking you're going to find tension in all these things. So as you seek that out, what does it look like to obey my parents but also obey God? There's going to be times that will be pretty clear, like, okay, this is an abusive situation. I'm not going to obey in this moment. They're asking me exactly the opposite of what God would say. But the majority of time that there is an obedience question that's crossed, it looks a little bit more gray. It's a little more tricky. Times when you're like, are they asking me this out of their own insecurity? Are they asking me this because they don't understand me? So what do we do in those situations? First, I want to say that Jesus also (laughs) experienced this as well. Um, 
we see different stories of him and how he reacted to his families. We have him when he was younger, that him and his family go to this temple, and he ends up like hanging out. His parents leave, um, and they come back, and they're like, where have you been? He's like, oh, I'm doing my father's work. And they're like, you need to come with us. And the scripture says he went back to Nazareth and was obedient. Yet then we read years later in the book of Mark, a different story about his decision with his family. So it's from Mark 3. It says, when his family heard about this, which was him doing miracles, they went to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind. Then Jesus' mother and brother, standing outside, sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. Who were my mother and brothers, he asked. Then he looked at those seated in the circle around him and he said, Here are my mothers and brothers. Whoever does the will of my brother and sister, and whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. So Jesus himself sat in this tension of having a heavenly father and having an earthly family. So the one thing he always did, always obeyed God always obeyed his heavenly father. It says in Philippians that he was even obedient to death on a cross, that even up to his death, he was obedient to his father. Okay, so if Jesus can discern, like, okay, when do I choose this versus this? How do we do that? Like, how do we sit in this question um, when things are presented to us about being obedient? Um, First, one of my like, favorite preachers says this. He says, um, obey when possible, honor always. So in every situation, how do we choose to honor our parents? The, this, this letter was written in a culture that was very like honor-shame culture. So what you did outside the home either brought honor or shame to your family. And so how do we, by the way we live, always bring honor to our family? uplift them, not how we just, how we act in the house, but how do we act outside to bring honor. And the other thing that honor means in the Hebrew is weight. And when you honor something, you give it weight. So by position, your parents have a certain weight. And that weight demands blessing. That weight demands that you see them as valuable, that you would pray for them. And then depending on how they act and their relationship with you, there's different weights that come from there. But no matter where obedience lands, honor always. And then as situations arise, you invite other people into it. You invite wisdom into it. You seek a third way. Because if you don't know this, God likes to show up in the third way. When you're like, there's none of these are going to work. He's like, I got another way. Um, This weekend, I had a student text me, and she was like, hey, my parents won't let me go on this mission trip anymore. And she was, like, really disappointed. Um, And I knew if it was me, I would have been like, I'm going. Like, I don't care. You guys don't understand. Um, But instead, what she did was she's like, well, can I go on one of the other mission trips? Like, I didn't think about that. And they're like, yeah, sure, that's great. We totally would love for you to do that. And I believe deep in my heart that she is going to experience God in new ways 
and show it off, him off in new ways on this trip. And so she was able to say, okay, God, I know you want me to go on this trip, but how do I obey my parents in light of that? So we look for the third way. We ask other people to be part of those conversations to let us know when we are just being our old self, when we're saying they don't understand me, they don't get it, I know better than they do. We have other people enter into that conversation to help. Because I know that there are times that it just feels impossible. Like there's stories I've heard of a lot of y'all that I'm like, golly, I have no idea what to tell you. But I know that our God is a God that does impossible things. So look for that. Invite God into that. Because if he's telling us to obey obey our parents and obey him, he wants to help us as we walk through that journey. When we're obedient to our parents, what we're doing is we're preaching the gospel to them. Sometimes just not using words. We're showing off the character of Jesus, who was a servant. We're bringing his resurrection, his transformation power into our homes. So even when you feel like there's no hope for your family, there is. Even when you feel like there's no way that restoration can happen because the other party is not receiving you, they're still experiencing the power of Christ through you in those places. So I want to encourage you guys to move into your families with a spirit of hope and love and not step back because you're afraid, because you have a preconceived notion of exactly how they're going to respond, but that you would still move into your family units because you trust that God is at work and that's how he has his kingdom looking in that family. So even when you might not see it now or for years to come, trust that God does and obey. Lastly, our obedience affects the world. So we have been given our, each of our family units, but we've also been given a church family. We've also been giving family all around us. Not to replace our other ones, but to restore broken parts in us and to make it even more full. So if God is our father and he says that we are adopted into his family as his sons and daughters, those of you who believe in Jesus are, are each other's brothers and sisters. And I like, really don't like the way it sounds, but like, we really have been given like, spiritual mothers and brothers and dads and all of that in our lives to encourage us and to show us these pure images of what these relationships look like and who God is in relationship to us in that. So we have a whole giant family around us. And not only do we have individuals, but we also get to be blessed by other people's family units. So if you've ever been around a family who you're like, yeah, they're seeking after Jesus, they're forgiving each other, they're being honest, they're moving towards truth, the way that those families bless you is immense and incredible. They usually have tons of hospitality, and so they have you part of their life. Jonathan and I have been lucky enough to to know and experience 
family in other sense in tons of ways. Our family, like our actual family lives all across the U.S. And so we have these people in our lives that when we are in need, when we are struggling, they show up, they pray, they babysit, they pick up our kids, they make us meals, they hold us up when we can't hold ourselves up. They make us laugh. One of my best friends and I, when my dad died, we like made a, a code word. And so I text her unicorn when I needed to laugh. And so she'd like send me jokes. And I usually was laughing at how terrible her jokes were. But even in like just being uplifting to each other, that was family. And that is still family for us. And these, this outside family, this other family, isn't meant, like I said, isn't meant to actually just take you away from your nuclear family. Isn't meant to say, well, we're better, so just leave them, peace out. No. This family is to build you up and to encourage you to share your value, to help you be rooted in Christ so that you would go back into that other family to show off Jesus' resurrection power there that even when you go into a place and they just reject you, that you could come back to this other family and say, you've got it, you've got it. You're not somebody that is worth being rejected. Send you back in. Uplift you. Um, one of my favorite people, her name's Miss Louise. You guys have heard me talk about her, but she's in her 80s and she's dying right now. And as she's been dying, what I've realized is that she's become like a grandma to me. Um, she loves me. She's interested in me. She likes to tell me the same story over and over and over again. Um, but what it's made me realize more than just like filling this spot in my heart to be like, yay, grandma, um, is it's made me more compassionate for my actual grandma. It's made me want to be a better granddaughter to her. So just like I have new perspective of how to be a mom because now I am a mom, I now have new perspectives and new compassion for other family members because of the new people I have in my life. So all of you guys, you guys have new family. If you look around you, a lot of the people in this room are part of that family. Some people will be closer than others. But what it requires of you guys, if you want to be a part of that, is for you to lean in. For you to invite yourself over to somebody's house. For you to invite them into your home. For you to open up. For you to go places and do things that may seem really scary and risky, like retreats. To meet these people, to be part of their lives. It means that you make meals for others. You help them when they need help. You show up with some mints for them to focus on their hardest finals. You write down big moments in their life and you remember to text them on those days. You do little things like frame pictures for them. Make extra food when you know they might come over. Have an air mattress so that people can spend the night. You lean in. 
I'll tell you what, if I, in like 10 years, hear that this group of people are the people that are like starting meal trains for people when somebody in somebody's family dies, that you guys are the people that are showing up with like vacuums and broom, vacuums and brooms, sure, to people's houses when they're about to have a baby, to be like, we're gonna clean your house so it's all ready. That you show up with moving trucks and extra hands when your neighbors are moving, I will be like, yeah, like I'll be so pumped to know that this is a group of people who are being family to each other. So these new family members are part of your redemption story. They're part of redeeming family that wasn't wonderful, but they're also part of helping you redeem your actual family units, giving you courage to go back into those places that are really hard. And it's not only, these new families are not only a picture of what this new life and this family can look like, but these these new people are people that are journeying with you and walking with you and are part of a whole new story. Jesus, of course, shows us exactly how this is done. So Jesus, at the end of his life, he's on the cross. He's literally dying. He looks down. Below him is his disciple John, who, like it said in that Mark passage, was now part of his family because he was following the will of God. So he sees John, and he sees his mom. He looks at his mom, and he says, Woman, look, here's your son. And he looks at John and says, here is your mother. And John took him into his house and he lived with her, or she lived with him for the rest of her life. Jesus didn't just have a new family. He didn't just honor his old family, but he created a new one with both of them. God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven looks like a new family and it looks like an old family made new. It looks like family impacted by the resurrection of Jesus. What if y'all didn't live lives and let your broken families cast a picture of what your future family would look like? What if you didn't let your jaded idea of family keep you from hoping in what could be even in your family back home? What if you all were the best brothers and sisters and daughters and sons that you could be? What if you practiced God's kingdom come in your family as it is in heaven. Ultimately, I want you guys to know that God loves you, that he is a father that is good and gracious and wants to encourage you, and that he and his ideal and his kingdom would have him be so loud And who he is so loud in a family. So would you guys go and be people who are super loud in your family, both at home and in the church?
Let's pray. Father God, um, thank you that you do have beautiful images of family for us, that you do want to show off who you are through our moms and our dads and our brothers and sisters and our children. May we respond to that. Would your kingdom come in our families as it is in heaven? Amen. Um, so we're going to practice a time of reflection and silence that we've been doing for a couple weeks. Um, so I want you to take a minute or two, um, and then I'll close this out. Um, just spending time reflecting, um, reflecting on where God is inviting you into obedience and into family. And take notice of where you may be pushing against this invitation. While you reflect, know that there's always people to pray in the back um, through the next couple worship songs. Um, but let's take some time to reflect. Father God, we confess that we are a mess, that we have sinned against you and others this week. Thank you for forgiving our sins, all of them, for loving us and drawing us into families. Thank you that you tell us in your Psalms that you put the lonely in families. Would we see that around us? Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for being with us in all of this. We pray this all in your name. Amen.